Welcome back, everyone, to the Department 12 podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina, and I am joined in this episode by Dr. Alan Colquitt. How are you tonight, Alan? I'm doing good. Thanks. So Alan is a guy who has done a lot of thinking and a lot of writing and a lot of research on performance management, compensation, and a lot of related topics. So I thought a fun way to kind of tap into what you know, Alan, is I'm going to present you with some commonly held beliefs about these areas. What I'd like you to do is to explain to me why I am wrong. If I'm wrong, maybe I'm not wrong. Um, and, and I'm not saying I agree with all these statements. I'm just saying, hey, I think these are commonly held beliefs. So the first statement is, we ought to invest most of our development-related time, effort, and budget on senior leaders and high potentials because they have a disproportionate impact on the organization. So for, I don't know, at least as long as I've been in business, you know, a couple of decades now, everybody from leadership consultants to talent management consultants and and, and scholars say, you know, you got to take the, the big bulk of that money and that time and that effort, and you got to sink it into the people with the most talent, because those people with the most talent are, are really the present and the future of your organization. Am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> ben, you couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> All right. I was hoping you'd say that. Now, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this is uh, the, the, the this is kind of the talent myth, right? Um, well, number one, it, it assumes we're we're good enough to promote the right people to the senior level, anyway. Um, and uh, you know, our 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 success rate with uh, senior leaders, I you know, at least the, the the companies where I've been, the success rate has not not been you know all that high. Um, so, you know, and, and I would I would say that um, p- part of my response to that is based on the kind of the the overall uh, this overall idea of the kind of the talent myth. And it's been litigated in the in the popular press by people like Malcolm Gladwell and and others. But, um, you know, there's there's a, at least a fair amount of research that that suggests that, you know, a, we're not very good at, at measuring talent, you know, whether it's, you know, true ability and uh, and, uh, you know, motivation or, uh, even performance. So I think part of that, that, you know, measuring, you know, who, who's, who deserves to be there, who, you know, deserves to be promoted, who deserves to be, you know, the big rewards that assumes we can measure, you know, who, who deserves it, who's earned it and, and how people perform in general. And, and, uh, I think there's a lot of, at least on the performance measurement side, there's plenty of, research that suggests we're not very good at it. Um, in fact, that's probably an understatement. You know, we're, we're just, you know, we're just not good at it, at it at all. Human beings are not very d- designed to measure, measure other people very well. Um, so that, I think that's part of it, um, is, is just a problem of measuring, you know, who mm-hmm. deserves it and who doesn't. And, you know, the other, I think the other part of it is just, uh, again, research on, on, uh, you know, the, the superstars that we promote, you know, to the top levels, um, whether, whether their, their performance and their, um, you know, their, the, the, the trappings of, of the positions at the top really are, are, are their doing to begin with, you know, there's, you know, starting with people like Deming, there's, there's plenty of people like Deming who would say, you know, the system is really controlling most of what makes people successful. Or if you read people like, um, you know, um, Nassim Taleb and uh, Daniel Kahneman that it's mostly uh, it's mostly luck. Uh, so I mean, at 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 some level, there there's a case to be made that 
that these people are not responsible for the performance that they're turning in uh, that's getting them promoted um, to begin with that you know they're 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 riding on the coattails of their teams and the team you know, other people are helping them be successful they're getting lucky um, they're being sponsored by people who have you know uh, and they're getting great projects with good sponsorship uh, while other people other sad sacks are are pulling the uh, the terrible projects, the budgets get cut in the middle, and and teams team members are defecting, and so on. So there's a lot of kind of myth, I think, in in terms of you know the people that get ahead really deserve to get ahead. Uh, okay, so a lot, I can... a lot of it is just uh, is just kind of the luck of the draw. And Paul Sackett is is tells a great story about the you know uh, this is called a Matthew effect in uh, in in academic research, but. It, uh, Paul Sackett tells t- calls it the Swen Nader effect. Who Swen Nader? For those of you who are, who are probably old as I am, certainly as old as Paul is, or it may remember Swen Nader as the backup center for Bill Walton at uh, US at UCLA. And so, uh, how unlucky do you be to end up playing, you know, to playing backup to to Bill Walton? So uh, he was a great center and you know, a lot of talent, but uh, really didn't do a whole lot given the luck of the draw. So. So, so luck and contingency plays an awfully big role, uh, is what you're saying in, in some people's rise or other people's failure to rise or leadership emergence, that kind of thing. Now the, the sound, that whistling sound you hear is the steam coming out of the ears of, of so many of my listeners who have built yeah. probably careers out of talent management and things like that. Uh, so I'm going to, to play advocate for them and say, okay, let's say you're absolutely right. Uh, we're not very good at assessing this thing called talent, whatever that is. We're not very good at um, promoting the right people or, or more swayed by systemic and environmental factors. Let's go even further and say that we have an organization that the people who are in charge are in charge simply out of, of pure chance. Let's say even like artificially, we just rolled some dice and we put people into C-suite positions from there. Couldn't you still make the case that since they are in those positions, since their decisions are going to have a greater impact, that you still ought to spend more of your development money on, on coaching and developing them? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say I'm not arguing that you don't spend more money on, on, on those people. Cause I, I, I would, I would certainly spend more money on people who are in high potential pools, who are on succession plans, who are in leadership pipelines. I don't think it's that you don't spend additional or disproportionate money on them. I think my 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 problem is with the whole frame of it's mostly the kind of the elitist idea of you've got A players that you really invest a lot in and you've got B players and and you know god forbid C players that you don't invest in at all versus um you know this you know and, and this sounds very utopian uh, but this versus it's invest in everybody so it's not that we're investing you know, not investing in leaders, but we're investing in everybody. Everybody gets invested in, whether mm-hmm. it's training and development or, you know, you know, let's, let's give, let's, let's start from the perspective of we're not very good at picking, you know, at picking people. Um, so let's invest in everybody. Um, this is the Bernard Bank School of, uh, you know, of talent management. You know, he was the former, um, uh, I think it was a, I think it was a general, you know, the guy in charge of West Point, um, uh, uh, in charge of, of development at, at West Point. Now he's at uh, leadership development at Wharton, I think. 
And, you know, he, he was very open uh, and I can't remember the, you know, the, the article. I probably have the reference somewhere, but uh, he said, you know, we're just not, we were not very good at picking at, at identifying who the top, you know, cadets were going to be. Um, so we invested in all of them. It's like invest in everybody, bet on everyone. And so, uh, you know, I, I would like to see us more ch- start with that frame, knowing full well that we will invest disproportionately in people because we have to make these decisions, mm-hmm. right? You have to create a leadership pipeline. You have to create a succession plan. So you're going to have to make those decisions and invest disproportionately in those people. But I'm, I'm saying, what I'm saying is don't do that uh, to the exclusion of investing in everybody else. Because remember, you know, our, our hit rate for identifying these people is no, you know, you know, what's, you know, what's the, I don't know what the level of variance explained in, in leadership ascendance or success is, but it's not more than, you know, 15 to 20%. So we're going to be wrong a lot more than we're going to be right. And so maybe we uh, hedge our bets and invest as much as we can in everybody and then see who, you know, who starts to show uh, uh, and benefit from that investment. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say then is on one hand, we have the status quo right now, which is in a lot of companies, almost all of our development budget is going to senior leaders and high potentials. And for example, almost none of it is going to frontline managers uh, and, and individual contributor employees. Almost none of it's an exaggeration, but in the case of frontline managers, it really is shocking the number of them that get no training or development at all until they you know, reach middle management. On the other hand is the idea that, hey, we're just going to spend an equal amount uh, on every single person in the organization. You're not saying we can do either of those, but that we nudge it a little closer towards a more even uh, an even distribution throughout the organization because we're not that good at predicting. And so we ought to put more small wagers on more bets. Fair? Yeah, fair. And, and the other thing I would add to that is that I think we're misspending the development budget that we have for for high potentials and top talent and senior leaders. Uh, you know, I think we, we you know, at, at some level, we have these these people, right? You're investing in them. I think we overspend on development for them um, because I think we're probably falsely c- concluding we're building skills in, uh, you know, in those people. And, you know, what, <clears throat> and this is after, you know, after being a part of a lot of these development programs, um, either as a, uh, you know, someone who's, you know, on the faculty of them, <clears throat> excuse me, but we, um, you know, I think the important point for these people is to let them know that they're special. We are really, we care about them. And I think we, you know, you need to do that as cheaply as possible. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, take them halfway around the world and expose them to the, you know, the, the Dalai Lama. And, and, you know, I think, you know, you can overspend on that. And I think we do. <clears throat> I think we overspend dramatically on, the, on that development. And the, so the, I have this. The, the important point is to let <clears throat> is to let them know that they're special, and then take the rest of the money you save and spend it on the the people at the bottom. So I have a wacky idea, <laughs> and I'm just curious uh, as to whether you've ever worked with a company that did this or ever heard of this before. But you know, I was thinking about this the other night, and I thought, why don't we treat uh, specifically something like executive coaching, where the focus is really on developing one person? Why don't we treat that more like a tuition assistance or tuition reimbursement program where, you know, the company's going to pay for this thing, 
but we recognize that we're doing it as an investment in you and your leadership. And if you leave within a certain period of time, then you owe us, you know, 75% of that money back or, or something like that. In other words, why is it that, um, why is it that we don't think that, especially people in, in very senior leadership roles that are, you know, usually well compensated and, and we assume very intelligent, why don't we expect them to take more of a hands-on role in their own development instead of it just being what the organization wants to hand them? No, I, I, I don't, I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that, uh, you know, hundred percent. And, you right, know, and, and, and the, the <laughs> you know, and the, and the other, I mean, I, I the other part of that is, and, you know, t- tuition reimbursement, it's, it's really, it's a benefit. Yes. So, and, and I think we should treat more of executive development like a benefit, honestly, that, you know, and not not create so much heartache trying to figure out whether it works, and because you know whether it works or not is whether do people feel special at the end of it, and you know it in and did they get the message that they're special? Did they get the message that they're in a new club? And I don't say this in a derogatory way because this is what you need to do to keep keep these people, and just do it in as inexpensive a way as possible, you know, honestly, uh, I, right. know, I just, that's the way, that's, that, that's the way to do it. The same with the so, tuition reimbursement. <laughs> yeah. So the, the message is it's don't, don't worry so much about whether it's working, make them feel special as cheaply as possible. While I'm hearing more of the whistling sounds coming out of people's <laughs> ears. So I'm going to move on to the next statement, the next statement here. Okay. So the way most companies do performance management is generally effective. So high level objectives are set by the C-suite. They're cascaded down. Employees set objectives based on those. Managers rate employees on their performance in, in terms of how well they've achieved those objectives. And then we reward the employees based on their performance. It's generally effective. Am I right? Am I wrong? <laughs> no, no. I don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> you, have, you, yeah, certainly you haven't had a performance review in the, the, in the last six months. Uh, I, I think, you know, the answer is no, it's definitely not effective. I, you know, by, any, by almost any, me, any measure, actually the only measure that I think is that um, by which it was judged effective is it, and it's really more efficient, is an efficient way to spend, you know, a hundred million dollar reward budget. And the answer is yes, it's very efficient. But I, I think, you know, what you don't want to call, you don't want to judge the usefulness of your employee motivation strategy. Um, it, it's almost an indictment to call it, wow, that, that's very efficient. You know, our motivational strategy is to be efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think by almost any measure, whether you talk to the people who go through it, they don't like it. You talk to the people who run it, they don't like it. Um, senior leaders generally, I think, uh, like it because it's efficient. It's an efficient way, um, you know, to, to generate a number that drive you, you know, that can drive other decisions and they generally don't hear a ton of noise. Um, and when they hear enough noise, they redo it and it quiets the crowds for, uh, a couple of years and then the noise kind of comes back. So I think by, by many measures, whether it's just employee input and, supervisor input or, you know, academic, you know, research, it, it doesn't seem to be working. All right. I'm O for two. I got one more to, <laughs> to throw across the plate at you, Alan. Job performance 
is a generally stable construct, and we can predict it with reasonable accuracy. So our job selection procedures, assuming that they are valid and reliable and all that fun stuff that we IOs care about, they're, they're totally worth it. True or false? <laughs> now you're setting me up. <laughs> <laughs> I actually raised my hands in the air after I said that because I can't wait to hear why this is wrong. Yeah, I, you know, I, I will say right and wrong. <clears throat> okay. And this is, yeah, this is my, uh, um, and here's why I say it. So right in the sense that, you know, I'm an IO guy. I've done selection work and I've, I've tried to convince people that mostly I, we and I worked for a pharmaceutical company where, you know, we, we have real scientists there, not these fake psychology, you know, people like me and you and others, <laughs> um, um, uh, yeah, side note, I don't know if anyone follows uh, Nassim Taleb on uh, Twitter, but man, does he hate psychologists. Uh, if you ever want, you know, if somebody wants to take him on, then, you know, do it, do it there. We're having a moment of being hated. I <laughs> yeah. mean, let's be honest. It's not just him. It's, oh, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people pointing out all of our various shortcomings. I think, so, you know, yeah. I'm overweight. And, you know, <laughs> so, I, you know, I would say I've tried to convince people that, that validities of 0.3 and 0.4 are useful. And uh, hard scientists tend to laugh at that and say, well, I don't know why you're not jumping off a bridge uh, with, with those validities. Um, and so, you know, I would say, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, th that's working uh, well, well enough. But, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I've kind of thought a lot about lately, probably more than I, than I probably should is, again, after, after reading people, you know, like, like Kahneman and Taleb and, and others who've Who've, and the, to back to the conversation about you know can can we re really predict who's going to succeed, um, and you know our validity you know so call our validity is point four you know best all in you know cross validity and and everything all in point four so we're explaining about sixteen percent of the variance in in performance that leaves eighty four percent unexplained so basically it's a crapshoot I mean you might as well roll dice. Um, and mostly what we're trying to predict is relative, relatively unpredictable, whether it's systems, um, you know, systems contributions to performance or truly just random luck and so on. And we tend to focus a lot on the 16 percent trying to make it 17 or trying to make it 18 and, you know, you know, getting more reliability in our measures and more uh, more, you know, and more validity. But, um, you know, overall, we're not doing a very good job uh, of, of predicting our, our outcome measures. And, you know, and we explain that by, by, by looking at, you know, what we're trying to predict here is very hard, you know, 10, 15 year performance down 10 years down the road with people who are very unpredictable and, and abilities and skills and personality characteristics are hard to measure and so on. So we have one hand tied behind our back. And we think we're doing pretty good. But in the end, we're not very good at it. And we're not gotten a lot better at it either. All right. So I like to tie that back to, to sort of some of the criticism that, you know, those like Tlaib and others have, have leveled against psychologists and the social sciences in general. You know, I think one of the reasons that a lot of the, the hard science types look down their noses maybe at uh, we humble social science types is that, you know, the very nature of what we are studying only permits a certain level of precision. And that level, that level of precision may seem meaning, meaningless or laughable to a hard scientist, but it's what we can get with the huge jumble of variables that we have to work with. And 
you know, with all due respect, obviously to the hard scientists, you know, a rock or a chemical, you know, it's, it's going to be relatively stable compared to something as complex as the human organism. So couldn't you make the case that like, okay, we can only predict 16% of the variance or, or, or whatever it is, because I'm not familiar with the background, but shouldn't the part that we actually can predict or even a little bit control, isn't that where we should pay attention? Yeah. And, and again, I wouldn't argue, you know, as a guy who's done, you know, selection and, and leadership prediction work, I wouldn't argue that we shouldn't do it. But uh, I think, you know, and, and this is, you know, believe me, this is fairly ill-formed in my head. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not sure I have the answer, but I, I think, I ca- you know, this is a thought experiment. What if you sure. focused on the 84%? What if you said, we can't predict. What would you do? You know, I'm a big fan of uh, um, you know the, Edward de Bono, the lateral thinking guy. You know, and and uh, lateral thinking is about you know one way of, of getting people to think you know creatively is, is these provocations. You know, is to provoke. Okay, you know, umbrellas open up instead of open down. Um, you know, what do you do with that? And so this is kind of a provocation. It's like, what if you couldn't predict? Who's going to be successful? What would you do? And so I think, and, and that, not that you don't take your utility where you can get it, take the, the, the 16% and do the best you can with it in a long run game of, you know, outside hiring selection systems with high volume jobs and so on. You should still do that. But you should also think about what would we do if, it was, if we couldn't tell who was going to be any good? And, you know, this is especially internal employees, this idea back to the idea of invest in everyone Um, or try, you know, try. How can you try? How could you try everyone out, Um, you know, in a in a you know, in a leadership selection um, context? Um, It's just to me, it's more of a do I have the answer? No. To me, it's more of a frame, a frame bending exercise. or how can we, you know, this is back to Taleb's idea of the kind of the black swan, uh, is that how can we give you, you know, how can we get the highest return on luck? How can we try out so many people so quickly? This is like the pharmaceutical ex- equivalent of high throughput screening. You know, when, when uh, the technology developed to, to, to screen massive amounts of, uh, of of assays, you know, high, you know, how can we, how could we do that with people? Um, so it's more of a provocation than uh, a fully formed. I have lots of, I have the answers, but it's back to the idea yeah. of, of invest in everyone, uh, you know, bet in, bet every, bet on everyone or bet on a lot more people than we do. And how can we maybe uh, think differently about, about trying people out uh, and giving people lots of, you know, lots of opportunities. So I like this as a thought experiment, and I'm going to challenge our listeners uh, to think about this. If I had a magic wand or, let's say, a crystal ball, and I could look into the future, dear listeners, and I could tell you with with 100% certainty that, you know, this 16% of variance or, or whatever it is, that's the best we're ever going to get. That's the best we're ever going to get. So we've got 84% that we can't account for, that we can't uh, predict or control. How would that change anything? What would you do differently if you knew that was the case? And I think that is going to have a 
lead to a really interesting conversation. Uh, and that's the important I, you know, <laughs> point is that it leads to interesting conversation. I, I was thinking about it earlier as I was like washing dishes. And I, the only thing I could think of were just totally wacky stuff. Like, well, I guess I just pull names randomly out of a hat and hire the name that came out. Like I, well, I, here, I'm not even there yet, but I, I think it's idea. fascinating. Idea. And again, maybe <laughs> this is, this is a function of me living in a pharmaceutical company for 27 years. I mean, the idea in a pharma company with, with drug development is to fail fast. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of the options that, that, you know, that I thought about is do your selection, do the, the, the 16%, do the best you can, but design the, you know, first 90 days, the first 120 days. If they don't make it, you know, fa- fail fast design the jobs or design roles so they test people early and then cut your losses, move them out, move them into a different position if it doesn't look like it's going to work out. So maybe, you know, that obviously that this is crazy, but you end up having lots and lots of churn. So I didn't say I had all the answers, but this is the idea of maybe how can you fail fast knowing that you're not going to be, you're going to be wrong most of the time. Alan, this has been an absolutely fascinating and thought-provoking conversation. So I want to thank you uh, for for spending the time with us tonight. And I want to tell the listeners that you can find uh, Alan's website in the show notes for today. You can also find a link to buy Alan's book on Amazon if you are so inclined. And uh, with that, I just uh, want to thank you, Alan. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invite, Ben. I I appreciate it as well. I can't wait to hear what people have, uh, uh, have to say on the 84%, 16% problem.